Well, last week, if you were here, we started a series that I'm, that I'm calling a vintage Christmas. I don't know about you, but I, I'm just rebellious enough that the more people try to uh, attack some of those traditions, the more that people try to pull some of those things out of our society, the more I kind of want to go back to how special Christmas was when I was growing up. And then so we kind of gave the title, title Vintage Christmas, looking at that. And, and last week we talked about Christmas Scrooges. And now that Scrooges come in all different forms. They're not all just the um, typical Scrooge like from, from the book, the Christmas tale, or, or, or the carol, yes, is it? Or, or, the, um, or even the movie, Right? So we talked about how that had been done so many different times and everything. Well, this week, I've kind of given it the title, A Wonderful Life. Now, we know that that, if, if you're here, I'm just curious, has anybody here not seen the movie? Good. So you were all, you were all born on planet Earth. Because um, it is. It's one of those movies that's considered, it's ranked one of the top 100 movies of all time. It is considered the most inspirational movie ever filmed. It is one of the top Christmas movies that, that, that you, you will find multiple channels playing that this time of year. The interesting thing about the movie is it was released in 1946, starring Jimmy Stewart and Donna Reed. Jimmy Stewart played a guy by the name of George Bailey, who was a returning World War II pilot and and he, had, he wanted to be an architect and do some things, but he, in a sense, because of a death in the family, kind of inherited this building and loan business. And, and in the midst of all that, we find out in the movie that the uncle that was kind of to help do the books made a mistake. It was $8,000 mistake, but it happened to be right before there, an audit was coming to check where the books are. And, and the guy that was coming to do the audit was, is the villain in the movie. And, and his whole goal is to put the competition out of the business because he's also the banker. And if I can get this building and loan people out of the way, we get all the business. So the whole thing is set up that way. So just because of the, the stress and the weight of all that, George comes to this conclusion that, you know, he's put his family under so much, and there's so many things. He comes to this conclusion that it'd be best if I'd never been born. In enters Clarence the Angel. As we learn in the movie, a second-class angel. That if he pulls this off... And he rescues George. He finally becomes a first-class angel and gets his wings. Now, obviously, the theology is way off in this movie. But it does make for a great story. And so his whole goal is if he can save George. And so George is this person that, that, that loves to, he, he's so much of his life, he's helped others and he's done things for others. And, and so... He wanders off. The depression's getting a hold of him. He decides he's just going to end it all because it'd be better if he didn't exist. Well, he goes. He's going to throw himself into the water and drown himself. He's going to jump, and and Clarence beats him there, and Clarence jumps in first, and his good nature causes him to jump in, and he rescues Clarence, which he didn't know was an angel, and you have this encounter. And so I want us to look real quick before we get I don't normally do this. We're going to look at the clip. This is the conversation between George and Clarence right after they get out of the water. 
Yeah, so you still think killing yourself would make everyone feel happier, right? Oh, I don't know. I guess you're right. I suppose it had been better if I'd never been born at all. What'd you say? I said I wish I'd never been born. Oh, you mustn't say things like that. You... Wait a minute. Wait a minute. That's an idea. What do you think? Yeah, that'll do it. All right. You've got your wish. You've never been bored. You don't have to make all that fuss about it. So just in that little clip, we see that George makes this statement. It's like, okay, you got your wish. And so George goes on, and and all of a sudden, as he begins to walk through the town and go through things, he's running across people that he knows, but they don't know him because he's never been born. He finds out that lives that he had touched during his life, that he had somehow helped in some fashion, how differently their lives turned out. He finds out how how that... uh, even the town itself is different because he's never been born. And he walks through this ad- adventure, finding out the impact that he truly had made. Wouldn't it be interesting if all of us could find out the impact that we, that just because we exist in our lives, because it's easy for us to get down. And so that's the whole premise of the movie. And as I begin to think about that, I begin to think about how that, that there are so many today whose actions seem to wish that there was no Christmas. There's so many today that that their actions would almost seem to to wish that Jesus had never been born. So kind of taking the theme of 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 the movie, I kind of went through and looked at it afresh and anew and said, what would it be like if Jesus had never been born? What would it be like if there was no Christmas? What would the world be like? What would your life be like? Then my mind went to John 10.10, and I think if there's a passage of Scripture of what Jesus said that fits this, this is the one. John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now think about that. If Jesus wasn't born... If we didn't have Christmas, if that never happened, then we could just take the second sentence of that verse and mark it out. And all we would have left is the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Because the other part would have never existed. Let that sink in for a moment. What would life be like if it was only the first part? I actually heard something that, uh, that I thought was kind of funny, ran across this week. Recently ran across this rhyme that said, Roses are red, violets are bluish. If it wasn't for Christmas, we'd all be Jewish. <laughs> but just think how different the world would be if Jesus had not been born. At best... At best, if we all were some kind of, some way we were Jewish or we weren't just, you know, pagan out there believing in nothing, at best, all we would know is a God of rules and regulations that were so overwhelming and so heavy and so 
powerful, that there's a standard that there's no way that any of us could live up to. All we would know would be a God of vengeance. Or we'd be completely godless as a society. And I know that there are people today that want to pull God and and Christ out of everything. And so we're going to look at for just a little bit this morning what it would be like if, if some of these people got their wish. What would it be like? How different would the world be if Jesus had never been born? Now this is by no means exhaustive because as I got to playing with this thought, this could be a series by itself. But the first thing I went to is this. We would have a different time. You know, this, this morning, if you, if you happen to, to have gotten a bulletin or, or if you look at our online bulletin through our app or any of those means or you got up and you looked at your calendar this morning, what did it say? It said December 15th, 2019. 2019 what? A.D. Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. We measure time by Christ stepping on this earth. For most of human history, we look at it, you can even see it in Scripture, time has always been labeled by those that are in power. If even on, at, at Christmas time, if on Christmas morning you get up and you read this story with your family, you're probably going to read Luke 2, 1 and 2, and it says this, At that time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This is the first census taken when Canarius was governor of Syria. How's, how do they designate that time? Who was ruling at the time? All through scripture we see that. So the birth of Jesus was really dated by the fact that Caesar was Caesar Augustus. Today we know that Augustus died in 14. 14 what? Year of our Lord. Year of our Lord. And so when Jesus was crucified, it was under Tiberius as Caesar. And when he died, it was 37 year of our Lord. And so think about this. When Jesus came into this earth, he split time. We measure time by this point and in, in fact in which Jesus came along and was born. History itself has been divided in these two sections and we see it. Jesus' birth, as I said, divided time. Since his birth, every person, whether they're good or bad, believe in God or don't believe in God, their date on their tombstone is divided by that time. Think about this. Friedrich Nietzsche, which is quoted and quoted and quoted, one of the top atheists that people quote often. I kind of did a little research. I thought it was interesting. He's one of the most celebrated atheists of all. But yet on his tombstone, you'll see 1844 to 1900, year of our Lord. But it doesn't stop there. Muhammad, the founder of Islam, 570 to 632, year of our Lord. 
Oh, there's been attempts to change it. They, many people have said, oh, let's change that up. Let's don't do that anymore. So we'll, instead of A.D., we'll make it C.E., Common Era. But the funny thing is the dividing point is still the point that Jesus came and was born on this earth. We mark our spiritual rebirth by the time that Jesus comes into our life. We mark it B.C. before Christ. You'll see, you talk to somebody long enough that believes in Christ, at some point, they'll talk about what their life was like before Christ. And they'll talk about their life after that. And we can call it A.D. as well, after deliverance. And we talk about that. That's our dividing time. Probably if we took time this morning, we could talk and many of you could even point to the day, the time, the hour, and you know exactly when that took place. So I was thinking about that. I thought about how that that I was raised in church my whole life. This has been a part of my life, but just because I was raised in it didn't mean I always lived it out like I should. And I remember as a young man, right about 21 years of age, I had been somewhere I wasn't supposed to be, doing something I wasn't supposed to be doing. You guys don't need to know either. But the Lord very clearly in that moment showed me a fork in the road and said, it's time to decide. Make the decision once wrong, which way you're going. Thank God I chose to follow him. It wasn't until later that I realized that John 10.10 was perfect. My choice was literally to follow the way of steal, kill, and destroy or follow the way of life and life more abundantly. I made the right choice and have never regretted it. But what did Jesus say when, when, when he had this encounter and he was asked by Nicodemus, he's, you know, what must, you know, kind of the whole conversation he had with him and Jesus said, in verse John 3, 3, he said, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. There's a power in being born again. It's all based upon this time that Jesus came along. And so if there was no Christmas, if there was no birth of Jesus, the world would be different, but we would be different. My question, I guess, is this. Do you have that day in your life, in your calendar, where you say, you know what, that was my B.C. time, but I had this encounter with Jesus, and my life has been transformed. If you have not, don't go the other way. Because we can't do our own thing. There isn't a do your own thing. There's follow the way that leads to death or the way that leads to life. And that's the choice that we have. But Jesus didn't just divide time when he came. Think about this. We would live in a whole different world if Jesus hadn't been born. You ever thought about that? I mean, we're talking a whole different world because we have this movement today that they want to pull Jesus out of everything, that, it's, that somehow it's offensive to have that, and, and we, they want to remove all of those things. But if you really look at how different the world would be without him, it's pretty mind-blowing. First of all, there'd be no standard against evil. 
Scripture talks about that Jesus is the bridegroom and the church is his bride. So if Jesus wasn't born, there would be no church. Now, I know for some people, they would say, well, that's not necessarily a bad thing. And they would point to different abuses and and different ministries that have messed up and different things. But all those things are high profile. There's this push now to to take away tax-exempt status from churches. And people want to point to these certain circumstances. But it's just these few, well, big circumstances when it would greatly harm smaller churches that do so much for outreach. You know, we, we've talked about before, there are 13 different ministries that this church helps support on a monthly basis. Trust me, we're not just collecting it all in a big bank account somewhere and that when the time is right, we're going to all divide it up and run somewhere. It's not the way it works. I know that's the, the picture that the world wants to paint, but we are a nonprofit organization and we don't do this to make a profit. We do this to impact the world. But think about all the things. Think about the bride of Christ and think about what it means. Because the bride of Christ, the church is still God's means for reaching this world. He came, he gave his life, he set it up and he left his church. He left us to get this thing done. I always like to look at it as almost like a, I used to run a little track in high school and, and I also think of it as, as the, almost the passing of the baton, the next leg of the race. Relay races are always interesting. I love watching that stuff in the Olympics because the whole idea is for somebody to give the person they pass the baton to a nice lead to work with, but sometimes it doesn't happen, and sometimes the person that takes the baton has to press it and do a little catch-up. And I always kind of look at this walk as there's all those that have come before us that are part of the church, and they've done their part, and it's our turn now to take that baton and run with it. But I'm so concerned that right now we look around us in the world, and there's almost this idea of now's the time to take it easy. We've got a race to be won. We've got people to reach and things to do. Jesus made this statement when he talked to Peter in Matthew 16, 18. He said, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We are the standard against evil. thought about this. Well, these days, those that feel like the church is in the way, well, these days they're going to get their wish. The trumpet's going to sound. We're going to be out of here. And that influence, what's good and right, is going to be gone. And if you read Scripture as to what happens when that, I mean, it literally is. It's John 10.10 fulfilled because the, the life abundantly will be out of the way and all will be all that will be left is kill, steal, and destroy. It's going to be a horrible, horrible time. We used to joke a couple of years back when we were doing a Wednesday night study on that stuff. We used to talk about how we want to go out with the first bus. I don't want to be around for that time. I want to get out of here when that happens. 
So what if the church never existed? What if Jesus was never born? You know, it's interesting that Nietzsche didn't want anything to do with Jesus, but you do a little research on his life, you find out some interesting, interesting details. Did you know that he was, he was an orphan and his grandparents, they were Christian grandparents, were actually the ones that raised him? He was educated in a university that was started by the church. He was treated in his life at a hospital that was founded by the church. He died in 1900, the year of our Lord, and was buried in a Christian graveyard. Sadly today, he realizes how wrong he was. But that's not a laughing matter at all. As I think about that, out of you take the most horrible characters in history. We shouldn't desire that fate for anybody. We should look around. It should be our desire for all to come to repentance. Without Christ, there'd be no Christ followers. See, Jesus left us the gift of salvation, but it was our job to spread that gift around the world. And it's for the real ones, not the fake ones. Yeah, I'm going to say this. I, I know that we get bent out of shape sometimes if we feel like God takes, somebody takes God's name in vain. But I've often thought, you know what the most, the most serious way to me of somebody taking God's name in vain is when somebody claims to be and in a sense puts on that name of Christ and does something to tarnish that name. Ministries that somehow think that that turns it into a scam. They use Jesus' name to, to build their own kingdom. And it blows up. They get caught. I believe there's going to be a price to pay for people that do those kind of things. But the truth is, the church as a whole is making a difference. See, we fail to understand the impact that Jesus has made through those who impacted the world in his name. Think of all the orphanages that wouldn't exist if the church didn't exist. Think of all the relief organizations that wouldn't exist if the church didn't exist. Think of higher education that wouldn't exist if Jesus hadn't been born. Think of hospitals that are caring for those that wouldn't exist. Think of the fact that the freest of all nations that have existed on this earth were founded on the principles of the word of God. The most oppressive nations on this planet are the ones that reject those things. You know what, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want to do life without my church family. How nice is it to know that, that when you're facing something, that there are people that are just a phone call away? That many times you don't even have to make a phone call. They just hear about something and they're there. What can I do to help? I don't see how people do life without that support. But one of the things that we would see, and this is kind of my ending point this morning, is one of the things that would be different is this, is there would be a whole different compassion on this earth. Can you imagine if 
Jesus had never been born. You hear all the time about evolution and survival of the fittest. It really would be survival of the fittest. It really would be a dog-eat-dog world. Because compassion would not look the same if Jesus had not been born. Matter of fact, how often today when there's this push to pull Jesus out of everything, are compassion organizations being blackballed and considered offensive? There are places that the, that the wonderful people that are volunteering their time to ring a little bell, wear a little saddle hat, and have a red cattle, they can't even sit up anymore, even though they're helping the poor and feeding the hungry and doing all these great things because their background is offensive. We see this stuff again and again. You know, in... in Salvation Army example was started in 1865 by William Booth. And all because he read the words that we're supposed to feed the hungry, we're supposed to take care of the poor, and he decided, you know what, I'm going to put together an organization and begin to do that. And now over 150 years later, they're impacting people all over the world. The slogan, doing the most good, isn't something they just made up. It's the truth. We see these things, and it, it saddens me to see that there are stores you go to now that won't even allow them to sit up in front of them. Because I read in Matthew chapter 25 when Jesus was talking about the judgment to come, he makes this statement to the ones that he's welcoming into his kingdom, the ones that are on his ride, and he says this, For I was hungry... And you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. And then they make this statement, when did we do this? And he follows it up with verse 40. And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Those are the ones that he said are going to say, come on in. The ones that he rejected, he said, I was hungry, and he didn't give me anything to eat. I was thirsty, and he didn't give me anything to drink. Think about that. It's, it's, it's something that's on the heart of God. Compassion would look different. Matter of fact, in Geneva, Switzerland in 1863, when, when this group was formed and they were just trying to decide what to do, this compassion Ministry was started, and the idea was, what do we do? What symbol do we put on it? They was, it was determined that, you know what, let's use a red cross. They're still in existence today. They were founded on Christian principles. In London, in 1844, there was a problem with young men on the streets in London, and it was decided to form an organization to give those young men, something to do and something to live up to. And the YMCA was formed, Young Men's Christmas, Christian Association. That's what was formed. Because Jesus said, welcome the little children to come to me. It was Jesus that had compassion on the lepers. It is many hospitals and ministries that we know today are because... Jesus was the one that would reach out and touch the leper. He wasn't the one that would leave them laying there. 
Matter of fact, we know it through history. Without Jesus, the sick would be treated different. We know that during the second and third centuries, there were plagues that hit, and that in certain cities, literally one-third of the people were killed because of plagues. It was so bad that bodies were being left on the street because nobody wanted to touch them, nobody wanted anything to do with them. Guess who stepped in? The church. Dionysius, a bishop of the early church, wrote this. He said, most of our brother Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending their every need and ministering to them in Christ. And with them departed life serenely happy, for they were inflicted by others with the disease. There were people that stepped in and cared for the hurting, knowing chances are where it was going to cost them their life. If it wasn't for that baby being born, there would not be this level of compassion on the earth. Think about this. Education would be different. Luke 7, 22, Jesus asked them, go and tell John what you have seen. I'm sorry, this is on the um, caring for the sick. Listen to this. He asked them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind received their sight, the lame walked, the lepers were cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. This still goes on today, the caring for those that are sick. You know, we hear today all the discussion about what we're going to do for health care. And the, 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 it's not as difficult as it's made out to be. I've told several people, a lot of y'all, we've, I've kind of had a private conversation about this. We, our our health care is set up. We belong to a group called Samaritan Ministries. And literally, it is people sharing one another's medical needs. Imagine that, compassion. And Yes, we have a set amount that we're supposed to do for our, our, our medical care every month, just like insurance, except it's way, way cheaper. And so every month, I have to do that. I agreed to do that. But the great thing is I'm not sending my money to some, to some organization or anything. I literally get an envelope with a name, an address, what kind of medical issue they face in their life, and we write our check and send it to that person to help meet their need. And if their need is $10,000, they get checks from all over coming in until that need is met. Isn't that the godly principle of doing things? Instead of it being orchestrated and there being all this bloated red tape, I mean, it's... If we follow his plan and his principles, it's so much simpler, so much better. We've had a couple instances. You know, a lot of you know we had the deal that I had to be careful I did that one time, and as expensive and outrageous as all that stuff was, oh, we, we had to go through a little bit of time, but I kept telling them, don't worry, we will pay this bill. It's coming. Just give me a little bit of time. Well, we got it all submitted. It was so cool to go to the mailbox every single day, checks coming in from all over the nation. And they were able to say, write the big check, paid in full. 
See, that's compassion. That's people caring for one another. Other thing, and I, and I don't want to, I mean, I could literally beat this. I could go on and on and on, but I'm, I'm wrapping it up soon, I promise. What's one of the things we hear? Well, Christians don't treat women right. Oh, really? Did you know that under Roman law, before Christ was born on this earth, that fathers were only required to raise healthy male children and the firstborn daughter? After that, they were disposable. Here's a, here's a sample of a letter that was written literally from that time period. This, this man is writing a letter to his wife, and he says this. Know that I'm still in Alexandria. I ask and beg you to take good care of our baby son, and as soon as I receive payment, I'll send it up to you. If you are delivered before I come home, if it is a boy, keep it. If it is a girl, discard it. Let that sink in. Women had no rights. They were considered property. A man could have his wife killed for committing adultery, yet the man was only held accountable if the other husband pressed charges. Think about Jesus' encounter with the, with the woman that was brought to him that was, says was caught in the act of adultery. Everybody's wanting to stone her. And what did he say? All right. That he who has who's not sinned cast the first stone. Then he looked at her and he said, where's everybody gone? Neither do I condemn you. Now he told her to go and sin no more, but he had compassion on her. Did you know that the longest recording com- recorded conversation in scripture was the conversation that, that Jesus had with the woman at the well? Think about that. He spoke directly to her life. When she was shocked that he would even talk to her. We see these things. Jesus never, think about this, Jesus never commanded that a woman should cover themselves from head to toe and hide away from men. Instead, he told men to respect women and not to look upon them with lustful thoughts. He put it on the man, not the woman. Yet how many cultures do we see that are different that it's always the woman's fault? Education would be different. Let me read this. Galatians 3.28. Paul is writing the church at Galatia, and he says this, talking the church, dealing with issues and things, and he says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. All because Jesus was born. Education would be different. We're told to go and make disciples. Matthew 28, 19, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Think how many higher education things were started by the church by Christ followers let I mean 
Think about that. Matter of fact, there was a person during Roman times. Matter of fact, his last name was Martyr, where it comes from. And, and he literally got in trouble with the Roman government because he started teaching slaves, children, and women a little higher form of education. He was arrested and killed because of it. Because all over the world, higher education was considered strictly for men and people of higher class. And yet, what do we find? We find that because Jesus was born, we see all of these things happen. We see these things being brought about. We see universities being brought into place. Matter of fact, did you know that, uh, that there was six years after the Puritans landed on this continent that they started a school. And their motto was translated to English, literally said, truth for Christ and the church. And that that school has become what we know today as Harvard. It was founded by the church. Literally, fact, 92% of the first 138 institutions of higher learning in the United States were founded by churches. So education would look different if Christ hadn't been born. 1780, children's, not children's church, but Sunday school was started because many kids were having to work six days a week themselves. And it was done so that they could come in and learn to read and write, and they were also taught the Bible. I painted a broad picture this morning. I know it's a lot of information. And I kept going back through it. I was like, what part of this can I cut out? And I thought there was just so much there. So I know this is more of a historical lecture, I guess, than anything else this morning. But the whole point I want you to get is this, that there is so much. We could go on and on. As I said, this could be a series of just talking about how much Christ's birth has impacted this world and impacted lives. And if all of a sudden we were to take that out and that didn't happen, just imagine how different this world would be. Just imagine how much less compassion there would be, how much less education for the underprivileged, how much all these things, health care, all of these things that we see, how, much, how impacted it would be. If Jesus didn't exist, I kind of decided to end on this one verse, John 21 25, because I could go on and on about this, and I'm not. But now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. But the most important question is simply this. Has he impacted your life? Do you have your B.C. and A.D. time in your life? How has John 10.10 impacted your life? Because it kind of comes all the way back to that. 
For the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. That's the choice that we have. If we move Christ out of the picture, then we remove life abundantly out of the picture. And you may say, oh, but I still live in this country. It's a free country. Yes, it's a free country because literally you can go back and trace the roots. Because Jesus Christ was born, we live in a free country. I know that's not what the history books teach today. But it's the truth. You go back and look at the writings of our founding fathers. You go to Washington, D.C. and tour the monuments and read the original things that were engraved in stone. And instead of, they read more like sermons than political speeches. Boy, that would be nice, wouldn't it? And we see all these things. We have been so impacted by the birth of this precious little child that we can walk in that freedom. Because Jesus is compassion. For God so loved that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the greatest compassion of all. Think about this. All over the world, any place that Jesus has been pulled out You noticed, you see the rise of kill, steal, and destroy. Happens every time. We told Jesus he wasn't welcome in the schools anymore. And we see killing and stealing and destroying in the schools more than ever. I know it was way back in the dark ages, but when I was in high school... I got in some fights, but I never have to worry that somebody was going to kill me because of it. Several of the people that I got in fights with became good friends. We kind of stood up to one another. It was like there became a mutual respect, and we were friends. But we pull all this out, and we see all the stuff rising. See, they think somehow pulling this out is going to make society better but it's only going to cause more deterioration. You see the signs of it everywhere. I think it's time the church stands up and becomes the church again. But I want you to bow your heads for just a moment. Kind of go back to the beginning. If there was no Christmas... There was no birth of Jesus. What would the world be like? What would your life be like? Maybe you're here today and you say, you know what? I don't really like my life where it's at. Maybe it's time you quit chasing after your own thing and you give your life to Christ. And let him begin to lead your path. Because he said, I came that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Because he said, 
I've got you in my hands and nothing can snatch you from him. He promised, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. We have that assurance. If there's anybody here, before we pray and move on, that you said, you know what, I, I just, I've always thought that this Jesus thing, that yeah, it was a cute little baby born in a manger, or, or that this stuff was just a bunch of fairy tales, and it really didn't matter, and that perhaps the world would be better off without it. Maybe you're here and you've thought some of those things. A prayer is that something that has been said today will help you realize the impact that this one little baby made, that time was divided by his birth. It doesn't matter who you are, but all around the world, no matter what you believe, time is still divided by the time that Jesus was born. If he had not been born, we would be living in a very, very different world. If he had not been born, there wouldn't be so much of the compassion that we enjoy today. And he wants all of that for you as an individual. So for some reason, you've never given your life to Christ. I want to give you an opportunity this morning to do that. Or perhaps maybe you've chased after other things. You say, you know what, I've kind of wandered off the path and I'm ready to come back home. That's you. I want, my, my goal is not to embarrass you. My, my goal is to have compassion on you because I know that there's not a person here. I know sometimes it's so easy. We can even walk into a church circumstance and we think, well, how can I be a part of this? Because everybody here has their life together. Oh, you should hear the stories. The things we have together, we have together now because of that baby that was born in a manger. But if something about you is you say what my heart longs for, you just kind of raise your hand where you're at. I'd love to pray with you. Anybody at all? Anybody at all? Seeing no hands, my prayer is that that means everybody here. You have your you had your AD moment at some point in your life. That also means that it's our responsibility to show compassion for others and bring others into the kingdom. Let's be about his business. Lord, we come before you today. Lord, I thank you for every person today that's under the sound of my voice. I pray that you'd bless them. I pray that you'd touch them. I pray that you'd give them an incredible Christmas and an incredible time together. But, Lord, I also ask that you would just move among them, Lord Jesus. Let us be your light. Lord, during this season, let us be the ones that that show compassion. Let us be the ones, Lord Jesus, that spread your light. And, Lord, I pray that we just move in you and know you. And, Lord, that we look at your birth in a different light, realizing that we live in a very different world and live a very different life all because the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords was born in the flesh on that first Christmas morning. We thank you for it. Be with everybody as they go the way today. Bring us back together tonight for a time of worship and prayer. And Lord, we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here today.